So we're getting closer to March Madness, and I know I'm looking forward to having it back this year with all the buzzer-beating shots, Cinderella stories, and, you know, just all of it. In basketball, phenomenon often happens when a player goes on a hot streak where they seem to be making shot after shot from behind the arc or, or wherever. As fans, you just want to see them get the ball again to, to keep that streak alive. Statisticians, though, often point out that this hot shooter fallacy, uh, saying that a player is really no more likely to make the next shot just because they had made the one before or several before it. But players and coaches, just like fans, tend to fall into this fallacy, making sure to get the ball to that player with the hot hand, even if they're typically one of the worst shooters on the team. Statisticians say that eventually they will revert to the mean. So if they're typically not a great shooter, that's going to happen again sooner or later. Leading into our gospel lesson this morning, Peter was on a sort of hot streak. See, one of the themes throughout Mark's gospel is that Jesus continually reveals who he is to the 12 disciples, but they just can't get it. They just can't wrap their minds around it. Even when others they encounter understand who he is, the 12 closest to Jesus cannot. This is why scholar and former Lindsay lecturer Francis Taylor Gensch likes to refer to the 12 uh, as the disciples in Mark. Earlier in the chapter, after Jesus has fed a multitude for the second time, he asks the disciples, do you still not understand? But just before our reading, Peter has a moment of brilliance. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am, Peter jumps right in, taking the deep three-pointer as the shot clock expires with a defender in his face by saying, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Nails it. So going right into our lesson, Jesus goes from Peter's confession, his clutch three-point shot, to teach the disciples about how the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, rejection, even be killed by authorities, and rise again three days later. After Peter naming who Jesus is, it's time for Jesus to tell them what this means, what it means that he is, in fact, the Christ. It means rejection not glory. It means suffering and death, but also rising again. I have to think Peter may have had this hot hand fallacy in mind at this point. Fresh off his clutch confession of who Jesus is, Peter feels confident he can jump right back in and take another shot. So he decides to pull Jesus aside privately and rebuke him. Hey, this isn't what a Messiah does. He gets all the glory, not rejection, suffering, and death. He's wrong. Peter might rebuke Jesus privately, but Jesus rebukes Peter back in front of the others, saying the bold line, get behind me, Satan. Your mind's on human things, not those of God. Seems that after this moment of glory, Peter loses his hot hand. And he and the rest of the twelve, unfortunately, revert back to the mean as the disciples. But this rebuke really isn't about shaming Peter. 
because it makes way for a pivotal teaching of Jesus. After Jesus told the twelve what it means that he is the Messiah, that he must undergo suffering, death, and be raised again, now he turns to the crowd to tell them what it means to follow such a Messiah, saying, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. These are challenging words to hear from Jesus any time, but I think they're especially difficult in light that this week we marked over 500,000 deaths from COVID-19. To follow Jesus means to, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. What does it mean to live in such a strange way, to live in the way of the cross? I think it might be easier to talk first about what it doesn't mean, but what Christians, unfortunately, over the years have believed it to mean. The first such false meaning can be attributed to a misinterpretation of Jesus' words, as well as those of a beloved theologian of the last century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his seminal work, The Cost of Discipleship, he delivers the challenging words echoing Jesus' own. When Jesus calls a person, he says it's as if he's inviting them to come and die. Bonhoeffer himself lost his life because of his faith in resistance to Nazi Germany. But neither Jesus nor Bonhoeffer mean these words literally. Rather, to follow Jesus means to live less and less for yourself and more and more for Christ. Or to use a baptismal image as Bonhoeffer does, to die more and more to self and rise more and more with Christ. The God we know in Christ, we know ultimately, friends, is not one of death, but one of life. Rather, of abundant life, and this is God's great wish for us and for all of creation. The other troubling understanding of Jesus' words can be summed up in the uh, often used expression, well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. At first glance, this seems like a faithful adaptation of Jesus' words. We all have to bear the cross of Christ as we follow him. But unfortunately, friends, this expression and the mindset behind it has created a culture within Christianity wherein all suffering and abuse might be accepted simply as someone's cross to bear. This is a dangerous and faulted theology that the church must be about the work of redeeming. Any suffering that comes as a result of, an, of the abuse of power or the dehumanization of a neighbor or a medical ailment or natural disaster, all these things, they're not someone's God-given cross to bear, but rather a world-given cross that must be and will be overcome. Roger Gensch, uh, who's the husband of Francis Gensch, I mentioned earlier, I believe, gives us a better way of seeing this. He says, the world crucifies everyone, yet God in Christ is always active in the world, seeking to bring life out of the broken places. So what then does it mean to follow Jesus? 
to live in the way of the cross. In a culture obsessed with self-promotion, the way of the cross is one of self-denial, seeking to advance the kingdom of God rather than one's own status. It means caring for the least and the lost rather than lifting up one's own self-interest. In a time of polarization, when we find ourselves going more and more into our own silos and tribes, perhaps the way of the cross calls for us to try to build bridges and relationships with those we are at odds with. One of my mentors, Glenn Bell, wrote a piece for the Presbyterian Outlook last week where he reflects on the experience of uh, he and his wife volunteering at a mass vaccination site in Louisville. Such an act of volunteering alone, like the thousands across the country are so doing to vaccinate our community and world against this deadly virus on its own, is truly living in the way of the cross. But his reflection takes this deeper. After reflecting on the iniquities at work in his uh, community, both before and since COVID, he notes this. This COVID-19 moment screams for us to pull back from one another. We're tempted to retreat. We're inclined to identify my people as a small circle. Those who look like us and think like us. Those who wear the same jerseys as we do on Team Blue or Team Red. But Bell warns us that great danger lurks in that direction. Instead, he appeals to uh, St. Augustine's work, the city of God, uh, which radically transformed the understanding of my people to account for the whole of the people of God. In light of this, he says that this COVID-19 moment is a chance to grow and heal and come together. We can become one people, undivided by the wounds of the past and the ways we have overlooked or mistreated our neighbors. As we grieve, make amends, listen, and relate, and this work must come first, we can embrace the opportunity for genuine community. Friends, Bell's words and reflection here are one way in which we can live in the way of the cross a way which looks not to its own interests and self-promotion, but rather those of our neighbors in advancing God's kingdom of love and peace and justice. Jesus' challenging words remind us that such a way of living and being will often be met with resistance because it is so at odds with the world as we know it. Yet, we trust that God's Spirit is at work within us in such moments, empowering us to take up our cross and follow Jesus to participate in his redemption of our broken world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.